0: Serious question If Jason Connerly Doesn't call into your podcast Is it really a podcast?
1: Jay's gonna
2: bring me back Give me a plus one to attack Whoa, oh, oh I want to
3: come back to the dice Whoa. Good I need a
4: rescue.
5: Oh yeah! Oh yeah. Hello, rescuers. My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. And today is the last episode of season ten, and it's a call-in episode. So, as regular listeners know, many times I have had call-ins from amongst the community and basically people call in with their questions but more commonly they call in with their comments and what we chose to do during the season in response really to listener feedback was put a couple of those call-ins in most episodes but actually to gather together the majority for kind of special episodes like this one. So what we got today is a whole bunch of stuff. Topics include uh, bringing all the rules behind the screen, solo gaming, and then various comments on other stuff like having an experimental mindset, GM expectations, and similar kinds of thoughts. So, yeah, I'm just going to let this episode speak for itself. Hopefully, um, what you'll get is a whole bunch of interesting calls from various people in the community. Some people call a lot more than others, so what I've done is picked out the perhaps the very best of those. And I am apologize if there's you know, something that you wanted to me to uh, comment on that I haven't quite got time to do today. And so, given all that preface, I think we better dive in.
3: Hey, Jay, Jason here. Just listened to, I think, 1018, your newest one about solo role playing. Great episode, great recommendations on resources. And yeah, I think whether it's solo play or other projects, I think your advice about either not saying anything until it's done or being very careful about talking about pending projects or partially done projects is very valid. I've announced a number of things that have never got completed that I feel bad about. So I, I can definitely appreciate that. Keep up the great work. Hey, Trey.
0: It's uh, Weed. I just had a question regarding solo play. Um, you really got me thinking about all the Paizo adventure paths that I own that I'll never realistically get to play um with a group and I was wondering what's your thoughts on being able to play something a pre-written campaign like that on your own is it possible what got me thinking about the Paizo adventure paths was the idea that 3.5 or 3rd edition was really designed with the idea that it could be uh Taking the DM out of the equation as much as possible, and really just as long as you follow these rules, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory. And it's been my experience that, uh, much like you were talking about one of the games that you were playing, in which case you felt like you didn't necessarily need to be there as a DM because the players really were suggesting, "Oh, this is what the monsters would do. This is how they could, you know, better, you know, utilize their advantage and abilities." And it just made me think. You know, that uh, Pathfinder um, is probably a lot like that in that sense. So, yeah, just, uh, like I said, curious about your thoughts on that. Take it easy.
5: So thank you to Jason Connolly up the top there um, with his comments on Solo. And Weeb, thanks for calling. And there's a lot in your message there, really, that I kind of want to obliquely address. I mean – In a basic sense, I don't generally play pre-written adventures and I'm not actually personally a big fan of the adventure paths largely because they are incredibly linear and I think really, to be honest with you, this is an admission made by the guys who create this stuff over at paizo years ago think about 2010 2011 there was a post out on i think reddit i might be wrong there where the guys who write that sort of said hey we're writing these as much to be read by people as to be played by people in fact the priority in terms of sales they realized is that if you write something that's really good to read then people buy them and read them that being said obviously people do play these wonderful pathfinder campaigns i personally find them however far too plotted for my own taste of course bringing across to solo play of course you could play those things i mean me personally i prefer to play a much more emergent style i'm quite happy to have things kind of pop up at the table and unexpectedly and i find that much richer i don't know what's going on but i don't those there's anything that really stop you from sitting down with that and playing through the scenes regarding your comment on 3.5 i was quite surprised to hear you talk about how it was designed to be uh, a game that you could sort of take the GM out of the equation I never found that at all what I did find it to be though is a really robust set of rules probably the most robust set of D&D rules that's ever been written in my honest opinion um, but I really like soloing with more robust rules someone recently commented actually up on my MeWe account about how using very um, much more kind of detailed rules made them more, and I'm quoting their term, authoritative. And I think it's quite interesting that you can use the rules to actually adjudicate an awful lot of stuff. And if a rule system is fairly detailed, it becomes authoritative. It is able to sort of determine many things for you without requiring you to go across to the GM emulator itself to ask questions and clarify, which I find makes gaming a lot faster. And so coming back to your comment, I think playing with a rule set like 3.5 edition would be very authoritative and detailed and actually takes away a lot of the um, uncertainty and decision making that you have to take as a solo player but of course as with all things your mileage may vary let's be really clear i like robust grounded and detailed game systems and i find having to improvise around a lighter rule set actually more stressful but that's me so i hope that helps i kind of also hope that you'll go on and try some solo play because you know what it's an awful lot of fun.
6: Hey, Jay, it's James Schraw from Subclass Act. Uh, I just wanted to call in. I really appreciated the most recent episode that I just listened to about playing solo. Um, it's funny because I, I didn't think about it in some ways uh, the same way um, as you. But now that I look back, I can see how um, I do take some from solo playing into into regular playing. Uh, and, and And I was so excited to see hear you uh talk about Mythic and uh Classic Traveler. I've been using a lot of different oracles for the for the my show and just for my solo play off air. Um and I and Mythic is just really great. I, I've played with others, but that one really helped me uh understand solo play and, and since the new season is Classic Traveler, I thought it was really funny that you, you mentioned Classic Traveler and, and how it has this really dynamic way of just creating all these fun uh these fun details. So uh anyways I, I really enjoyed it. And I totally agree with you about solo play that it really lets you be more uh, exploratory in some ways that you can uh, create these worlds. And it kind of made me think that um, something I haven't done, but that I could do is is I've used it to try out systems before I run them. But what I didn't think about doing is sort of using solo play to generate a world that I later use uh, to run. So I didn't think about that. I might have to give that a shot. Anyways, thanks. I really enjoyed the episode. As always, take care.
1: Hello, my brother from another mother listening to the latest about solo play. I find the idea of solo play very fascinating to the extent that I continue to buy solo play games, rules, things like You know, the Mythic deck and the uh, Apprentice deck. And I am just, I feel like I just need to start. But then, as I'm listening to uh, what you're saying, as I'm picking up what you're putting down, I, uh, I realize that, in a way, I have been solo playing, I find that when I am writing an adventure, such as uh, Lair of the Manticore, or um, as I am working out the details of my own homebrew rule set, I find that I am playing in my mind. Uh, I don't really have, I'm not using an emulator or any kind of artificial intelligence except for my own artificial intelligence, but I I tend to go through the adventure or uh, create some scenarios for for the rules that I'm creating, and I run through simulations in my head. And oddly enough, I think that's... You could almost call that the first play test for me. So according to Covey, all things are created twice. Uh, First, you have the mental conceptualization and then the physical, actual creation. Um, And I suppose, in a way, the solo play would be the mental conceptualization part, uh, especially when I'm talking about uh, writing an adventure for myself or uh, publishing something. Uh, And oddly enough, that form of lonely fun, as Monty Cook calls it, is something that I have become very accustomed to or really look forward to these days. The more I read through it, the more I play through it in my head, the more it develops. I guess, you know, you see things that you didn't see the first time. It would, I think it's really good advice that you give in terms of playing solo for a new game or a new campaign setting or even an adventure that you plan to run for your gaming table, virtual or otherwise.
4: Hello, Hache, it's Brian. I think I've tested the speaker pipe uh, connection, but I wanted to, to give it another shot, just finished listening to the journal. latest one. So that's 128. And I took it with me on my my morning uh, jog through a a cool, relatively cool autumn morning here, uh, northern suburbs of Brisbane. But I like when you talked about experimental mindset. And obviously, it's in the context of gaming, but boy, that applies to a lot of things. And I've been really trying to, it's ironic for me, because uh, a lot of my work, for the last five-ish plus or minus years in, in doing, uh, they're mainly military projects, but they, they have been lots of science experiments. And and we've tried to, you know, bring that experimental mindset uh, into a lot of things we've done, uh, technology-related and into exercises. And I like when you talk about it in terms of gaming, preparing for games and the different ways you're doing so and, and how it may, you know... A, influence you to adjust your style and so I, I try to keep that in mind and i guess in thinking about some of the games that i'm going to be running soon you know affecting everything from you know how i prep to how i let it develop um how willing i am to go maybe off script off module so yeah i just thought that's a that's a good thing and uh, yeah we'll see maybe i'll hear more about it in future episodes cheers
2: Hi Che, this is Bob from SafecoCast, that's Safeco with no E, we're a traveler podcast, and this will be my only plug during this message. I just read your blog post about expectations being placed on Game Masters, in particular in the virtual tabletop area, and I think it's very appropriate, um, especially considering I read today that D&D Beyond has been purchased by Hasbro wanted to throw out a few ideas. Maybe you could comment on them, but, um, are people becoming more media consumers than active participants in their gaming? That seems like, uh, a possible explanation of this phenomenon. Do people understand that the game master is a player too, and is supposed to have fun. Are the players there to be entertained by someone or to participate and play? Um, That seems like how it should be to me, but I'm only one person. I do think this trend could potentially really turn a lot of people off to uh, becoming Game Masters because of the stress and preparation and difficulty in uh, preparing super high-quality materials online. Anyway, great podcast and great blog post. Very insightful. Thank you.
5: Bye. All right, so a lovely bunch of comments and thoughts on Solo and then a call from Bob. Thanks, Bob, for that set of questions, really. And just to give everyone context... That was about a blog post where I was talking about, are we asking too much of GMs in terms of online expectations, making digital maps that are beautiful, um, prepping up encounters on a digital tool that just take hours to do. Um, In fact, as I sit here recording this, I've just spent basically two hours prepping for a two-hour session online, and it just seems like a really bad use of my time to spend an awful lot of time working on maps and things I'm not good at. My comment being, you know, I'm just not really good at this stuff, and when I want to turn my hand-drawn map into something that someone could look at on the mo- online, I, I, I just get frustrated. Now, Bob's asking some really relevant questions. Is this actually the way in which the gaming culture is changing? And I don't know if I can answer that. I don't even know if it's a bad thing. If you've got the skills and you enjoy all that kind of approach, then I think that's absolutely amazing. But, of course, in the context of where I'm going with my hobby, returning back increasingly to bringing rules behind the screen, bringing all of the detail into the mind rather than having maps on the table with people moving miniatures around and all of that kind of stuff, I feel like a lot of this stuff is a huge time sink that frustrates me. And I guess that was my comment. And not wanting to be negative, I just honestly have some questions about whether I could spend more time working on a really good adventure rather than presenting battle scenes and exploratory stuff in a visual media, I suppose. I don't know. Your mileage may vary, I guess. But thanks for the call, Bob.
7: Hello, Chey. It's Graham from Gaming from the First Age. I, I really enjoyed your podcast behind the screen with Daniel Jones. It was a really great and uh, well, very thought-provoking conversation. And I think it's really great that you've you've found a method which enables you to deepen that immersive, I'd say almost visceral nature of the role play at at your table, and that you're exploring what this means and how to make use of this in a variety of ways. I have a a, a question which i'm keen to get your take on it really as to whether this uh is as binary as the podcast seems to indicate or whether the depth of role play and character immersion into the other world was a spectrum in opposition to the complexity of the game that is being presented to the players now, as you know i, I play a, in fact, i dm quite a lot of uh, fourth edition dungeons and dragons uh, which given that it you know, th- at least theoretically plays out on a grid well that makes it all the more of a board game uh in fact the criticism of the game back in the day was that actually no graham you're not even playing a board game but you're playing an analog computer game i don't think that's actually true but uh, I, I i digress so certainly something like dungeons and dragons fourth edition uh, or i may say probably any medium crunch game question any game um, a medium crunch game perhaps such as gerbs means that you're kind of playing a board game with some silly voices. Or perhaps more seriously, and more attentively to your actual point, that the role-playing that is squeezed out of that experience is kind of encumbered by the game elements that are presented to the players. So I wondered if the games were lighter, or indeed that the games were hooked more clearly into narrative expression. so for example something like Fate Accelerated, or perhaps powered by the apocalypse games where characters are at least largely defined by moves which are hooked into narrative action and adversaries in, in those games are virtually not statted at all actually uh or, or possibly something like forged in the dark games on, on, a, on a similar sort of vein is the role playing less encumbered and actually more targeted by the game is it a spectrum or really graham is it just a case of getting rid of the crutch And taking that board game away from the players. Interested in your take, Che? Inspiring stuff, and look forward to more on your adventures. Cheers.
5: Hey, Graham, thank you very much for this very thoughtful and generous call in. I have a lot, I guess, to say around this that I don't have a lot of time to say it in, so I'll just try and get to it. Is it binary? No. Of course, it's not binary. I don't think there's anything. Uh, that's really that binary in life um, I think often when we try to coach things in terms of this or that we're actually setting up a bit of a false dichotomy so you describe it as a board game with silly voices and then more seriously sort of talking about with medium crunch games like fourth edition D&D or perhaps like GURPS and others that I enjoy you know are we essentially playing a board game with Sort of this role playing overlaid? Well, I think not. And I think it kind of comes where you're starting from. So if I was playing a tabletop battle skirmish game, for example, and I was essentially then layering in some role playing um, and silly voices and acting and stuff like that, that is distinct from actually what I consider to be role playing. So the first thing I want to say is what is role playing? Role playing is playing in role as a character, making decisions from the point of view of the character. And what Daniel and I have been discussing about is how to enrich that particular experience by removing distractions from your ability to think and perceive as your character. So describing what the character sees, smells, hears and everything else is really important if you want to immerse yourself in character into the other world around you and then make decisions from that perspective. That being said, this thing's on a spectrum. And I think that if we are coming from the premise of I've got my character and now I'm in a combat situation and we are going to use some kind of battle map to play that out, there's nothing to stop us doing that. But the issue becomes one of I'm now switching from being immersed in my character's frame of reference to actually standing above it, looking down upon it um, as miniatures on a table, for example. Now, a couple of things that Daniel has talked about in the past in terms of experimenting with this, and one of those is that, first of all, he's quite happy to sketch out a quick map of the area to help players who find it difficult to visualize the situation to see the kind of layout and what details are there. But what he doesn't then do is drop miniatures on a map and start moving them around. It's just a sketch to give people a visual reference, and that can be quite rich. It can help people to see and remember details in the room, like, for example, the table they could jump on or the chandelier they could swing from and all those kinds of interesting things. So that's one option. Another option is Daniel some also mentioned is bringing the battle maps themselves behind the screen. So he might give them a the sketched-out map, quick sketch. But behind his screen, you may well have a grid with miniatures. But, of course, the players aren't seeing that. So he can be very specific about measurement. He can be very precise about what he's doing. And as I understand it, this is actually quite rich. Now, I've tried that out myself, and it's really cool. I did it with GURPS, and it was worked really, really well. And it allowed me to very precisely describe where things were and what things were going on in the situation and kind of make sure I kept to the detail of the rules, I suppose, in doing that. Your question relating to sort of lighter rules games, for me, got a little bit kind of conflated between this idea of, I think what the Alexandrian disturbed is, we are all playing these narrative games. But um, a tip-top narrative game, I think, is the phrase that he uses. But he actually distinguishes it into two categories, role-playing games and story games. And by the way, loves both of them and thinks both of those things are beautiful. So when you talk about games like the Apocalypse system... um, this would probably be more in the story game camp as opposed to you know your traditional D&D 4th edition which would be more in the role playing camp although I think there are criticisms of that particular system we could bring because this is again on the spectrum and everything's a bit fuzzy here. In short what I think Justin Alexander is trying to call out is the difference between games that put an emphasis on narrative control by the players as opposed to making decisions in role as a character. And I think those are slightly separate kind of behaviours that we have. His point is that when we are like t- trying to rest narrative control in a game, we are at that point not role-playing. And I'm not saying that either is better. I'm just saying they're very, very different. So I kind of wanted to to mention that as well, and I think there's an awful lot to unpack there. Obviously, in a four- or five-minute reply, it is really hard to be a little bit more detailed and specific about it, but I thought it was a great set of questions. So in summary, is it binary? No. Are there loads of options? Yes. And I think actually, you know, sometimes I found it easiest to say to my players, hey, do you want to come try it from the most extreme position? And we've done that, and we had some fun with it. What I'm actually starting to experiment with is where are the half ways? Because involving some players means helping them overcome their fears. And that means actually offering something that isn't quite the whole experience I'm going for, but, you know, fits those people. And so, as, again, I keep saying, your mileage may vary. Thank you so much, Graham, for calling in. I hope that helps.
1: Good morning, Che. Laura Tiger here from the States. Though I guess it's more of a good evening for you. Just a word of encouragement here. I love your content. You're doing a great job bringing others back to the game table. Keep up the grand works. I'm in the process of binging my way through your back catalog, as well as keeping up with your current episodes, loving the ideas and working on more meaningful questions to throw out there. Anyway, as you say, game on, brother.
0: Hey, Jay, it's Weeb. Just calling uh, in regards to Season 10, Episode 19, on role-playing with the Master only having the rules. Um I think part of this fear of letting uh the game master run comes from uh, adversarial DMs back in the day, um where they specifically, you know, tried to screw over players and that has sort of stayed in the sort of mind that, you know, the dungeon master is always out to kind of get us. But uh very interesting conversation lots of great points and uh yeah game on
3: aj jason here listen to roleplay rescue 1019 great episode great interview with daniel and you know i've been talking to people about your other world immersion and all and get some of the questions that you answered so i'm glad now i have a wonderful podcast i can point them to i mean you have some other ones out there also but this is this one's a great one and you asked you open up asking the three questions a lot of people ask me so I can point them directly to this podcast so thank you for putting it up
5: and a whole bunch of lovely people rounding us out with positives thank you so so much I'm conscious of time we're coming up on half an hour so I'm gonna like wrap this up thank you to everybody's called in I really do appreciate it, and I really couldn't do this kind of stuff without you. I have to say more than that, Roleplay Rescue gets its life from people phoning in, and even though I haven't been able to share all of the messages, I mean, I particularly have had lots and lots of comments from Jason Weeb and Jason Connolly over the over the last few months, really, and it's been absolutely fabulous to get those questions. I hope that I'll be able to pick up some of those um, down the line. I think that there's a whole bit that Jason, for example, has asked me about, about using GURPS that I kind of want to maybe go and explore it might be i do a little mini sewed around that we'll see how it goes not least to say thank you and that is going to be about it for today thank you for listening i hope that you've had a great time and also thank you so much for All of your support as listeners out there in the community. I know that people retweet stuff on Twitter, they share stuff on MeWe, on Facebook, and which, by by the way, I'm particularly appreciative of anyone who sticks anything on Facebook because I'm not there. And also we have to say a massive thank you to all of the patrons, all 41 of you, I think, as there are, as I record this, who you know fuel the show with a little bit of an injection of cash as well hoping to pay for the blog primarily and some of the costs that are around running and and developing a podcast so as we wrap up season 10 i just wanted to say massive thank you i am intending to come back for season 11 but i do need a break and so there's going to be a gap now for a little while but hey maybe you've got some suggestions about things you'd like me to talk about more Perhaps we could even go back and unpack some of the thoughts that have come out of today. Please do let me know. Remember, you can leave a message via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue. You get a minute and a half and I'd love to hear your questions and your comments. And on that note, it's time to say goodbye. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again on the flip side. Game on.